Welcome back to the How to Decorate podcast from Ballard Designs. We want to teach you how to decorate your home and unleash your inner decorator. So we'll be interviewing interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world, sharing the trials and triumphs of our own homes, and also answering your decorating questions. I'm Caroline. I run the Ballard Designs blog, How to Decorate. And I'm Taryn, and I'm on the product design team at Ballard. And I'm Karen, and I head up branding at Ballard. We're your hosts. Hey, y'all. So today, well, first off, I need to apologize because I feel like I have a th- frog in my throat. You do sound a I little sound worse. terrible. And so, I think Taryn's got a cough drop I, in her mouth. I do. So we're in the same boat. Um, I'm healthy. Don't touch me. But we are back from the new year. So happy new year to everyone. And we are sharing an episode today that we recorded at the end of last year in New York. So our next couple of episodes were recorded in New York. If you hear some sirens in the background, <laughs> that is because we're being New York arrested. City. <laughs> <laughs> but um, before we get to our guest today, we are going to do some trials and triumphs. So let's do that. Okay. Who wants to go first? Taryn has a huge list. You have like 12 things written down. I, I'm organized this time. That bad, so huh? Do you want to like pick a number? And I'll, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'll, I'll start with my trial because it happened today. So it feels very fitting of trials. <laughs> I think I've told you all this before. I've admitted it and I'm embarrassed, but it's Atlanta. So I have to get over it. My my rats, right? I have what? rats in the winter. What? They, uh, what? A rat. Okay. I've talked about this before, remember. right? I don't remember. Oh, then I've embarrassingly talked about this. this. We've had like mice and like I think last year we had like a rat in the basement and David took care of it and nothing else. Wait, 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 wait. What do you mean David took care of it? <laughs> what does that mean? Because you know yes. David. Yeah. <laughs> Your stories about David are kind of like he's a 60 percenter. Like Correct. me. <laughs> Correct. He didn't take 60 percent of the rat out. I can tell you that. Um, he, we... He keeps a trap down there year like year round, but didn't um, go seal all the little spots and everything. He just trapped no, it and got rid of it. No, because according to David, they will get it in no matter what. Nope. Okay, <laughs> so I this is a great lead into my story about how. So, um, in November, I was downstairs trying to move some of my decorate my oh oh holiday God. boxes, mm-hmm. and. I definitely saw a very long tail sticking out of the trap. And <gasps> oh, I was like, that's God. not even a mouse. That is a full-blown rat. And come to find <laughs> out, FYI, guys, Atlanta <laughs> is number six in the world of cities with the most rats. Why? World Why? is what the guy told me of pest control, which I get to. Anyway. Do you think he's really just trying to sell his services? It might have worked. It doesn't matter. I was going – I, like, I looked at wallet. David and I go – I'm done. No, yeah. I'm paying. I I'm paying whatever price they tell me. Mm-hmm. I I have no limit. Yeah. I am I'm it's done or I'm moving. Like <laughs> done. So anyway, I inter- I brought out three different pest control like uh, companies. Ro- yeah, mm-hmm. um, trying to figure. You know, just at least trying to like cro- make sure yeah. you cross everything off and everything and. I picked one. I told David, I literally was like, I'm funding this. I don't care what you say. Like, mm-hmm. I'm just going, I'm going around you because it bothers me that much. Like, right. I can't. Where he honestly is like, no, it's like, this What's happens. And I'm like, not in my home. Yeah. Not in my home. Like, you yeah. you handle you it You don't if it need to have rats in your home. It is avoidable. It can, can. be 
It can be avoided. That was, yeah. And so to David, it's a much lower priority Mm -hmm. again. So I'm, I'm dealing with it. Anyway, like the flickering lights. Guys, that's just the way it works. (laughs) He doesn't listen. I told him a little while ago not to listen to this podcast because I just like rail on him. And he, 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 again, he has stopped listening. Um, So they came out today and. It was worth every penny. As they were doing it this morning, I was like, yes, yes, yes. I signed that check with like, I think I put like- A little extra flourish. Did you like dot your eyes with hearts? (laughs) Yeah. Where it says like the reason in the bottom left, Mm -hmm. I put rats, 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 and I drew hearts, hearts, hearts. Or you can put marital bliss. (laughs) (laughs) Keeping keeping ourselves together. That's right. So that's my negative because, and I'm trying, and the pest guy did try to make me feel better. He was like- it's it's the perfect temperature here in Atlanta. It is mm. it doesn't get below freezing. Um they're like so it's like great for you anyway, he was telling it's moist. It, oh. Like they're like, "Oh it's yeah." The perfect. They love temperature. it. Yeah. Mm. So there's even like so happy about that. Three mm. different types that are very common in Atlanta. Ugh. Yeah. So, Taryn is dealing with it okay. and I hope <laughs> they are sending them all I mean, anyway. packing to our houses. Well, the positive things. is, is in case any of you are going through this and like questioning it, they do actually have like an annual then like cost, but like you can pay an annual fee and mm-hmm. they come, come out every year. Check for they holes, come out and check, check, check for and like fix anything. Yeah, and it yeah. like a hundred percent well like worth termites. it. Yeah, so. yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we have it for termites, but that. <laughs> Yeah, you have to have an additional one for the... This is different. (laughs) Anyway, so that was my morning, but I'm very excited about that trial in a way. Well, the good thing, too, is that when they kind of rat-proof your house, it also keeps squirrels out. And squirrels are Mm -hmm. a big problem because Mm -hmm. if they get in the house and they chew up your electrical and start fires and make nests and have babies, like, mm -mm, no, you don't want anything in the house. Get out. Well, I actually ended up using a company that uh, one of our coworkers used for squirrels in her so it is a very similar like mm-hmm. situation of mm-hmm. how they get in and then they yeah. hang out. So mine will not be. And I'm very, very excited because even though I sunk some money into this, I'm very happy. It's like no question. Yeah. No question. Sleep peacefully. Amen. Amen. <laughs> so my triumph though, actual triumph this weekend or this week, sorry. Mr. Baylor. Mr. Baylor's <laughs> visiting today. Yes. Your dog. That's who Mr. My Baylor. dog is visiting because the rat guys were there and they do a disinfectant and everything. And oh. yeah, diet. So my triumph though is, do you remember I was talking about how I had two dining tables in my living room? Yeah. yeah. And well, they were still there over Christmas because we had left. Like we have not dealt with it because one's the big heavy teak table. Well, we were hosting a dinner party on New Year's and – it was it's ten it was ten or twelve people we're and like so you know it's just big over too big for my dining table so we're looking at pulling up one like doing a long table but my house is much it, the shape didn't work so I thought well why don't we put these two tables together made a huge square mm. and they Ooh. were the they were the same length and ever so slightly off in height so it almost worked absolutely perfectly <laughs> and kind of awesome. it was a huge square so like again it has that still that opportunity of like a round where you now you can see yeah, everyone even with the square yeah. so it was fantastic and i and my other triumph that i think y'all appreciate is i have one really beautiful white like tablecloth mm-hmm. that fits that table well i don't have two gorgeous white tablecloths because who 
right regularly who needs one so i had like a bunch of different colors i tried two colors next to each other i couldn't make anything work and i finally i have a hem my linen one is a hem stitch and i have a pair of sheets on my full bed brilliant in my guest room that has a hem stitch or like i have a set in there so i pulled out and i put the side that you can kind of like see Mm -hmm. like the one side you can see on the tablecloth quote unquote i did the the top of the sheet and no joke no one knew all night they no one mentioned it now again if you had like touched it and you were but no one noticed because it was so covered up with everything you know you hardly ever see the tablecloth i had candlelight and like so it was very like you couldn't see and it was a great little fix that maybe someone else could use depending on their situation so very anyway, clever. that I was my triumph. That was great. And now the table is outside post-party, and it looks fantastic, and my house is back to normal. Yay. That is very smart. Yeah. And I know I've said this on here before, but I'm going to say it one more time just so everyone can remember. I took an old duvet cover of mine that I loved that was cruel, and I didn't like it as a duvet cover. It was itchy, and I had it just the edges cut off and had it made into a tablecloth. It's perfect. So if you have like an old duvet that's oh, got a, a cool pattern or something, just chop the edges off. Really, and anything. Have it hemmed at your dry cleaner. Yeah, you just need something big. Like one yard of fabric makes it 54 inches square. Mm-hmm. Easy. Done. Yeah. Okay, can I go next? Yes. Because mine also is on. <laughs> no, don't also say Also goes on the topic of marital bliss. Uh-huh. <laughs> or uh-huh. Not so marital bliss. Uh-huh. I should be divorced right now because <laughs> coming in strong. <laughs> no, because I don't know why Will puts up with me. Um, okay, mm. so I talked in one of our previous trials and triumphs about how much I loved our Christmas tree. Yes, and it really was so pretty, and it was and like you our, engineered the lights it was on gorgeous. it, and you flocked it by hand. So, yeah. do you know where this is going? So, when no. we decided to take our tree down, these lights that I meticulously wrapped along the trunk of the tree hid. I've got really into it. Taking those lights off, y'all, <laughs> took like three hours, uh, and it was a disaster. Well, we had just. If you recall right. my trial and triumph, I, do. I had just purchased brand new lights, mm-hmm. like I the know, LED but... ones that are supposed to last like a million years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had just like essentially created the biggest knot in history. It was like trying to untangle like five gold necklaces all wrapped together in like the tiniest I... knot ever. It was so bad that Will eventually was like, F this. I am going to take the saw to our Christmas tree. Yeah. And he take sawed our Christmas tree off. in half. Yeah. Just to get, like, so we could kind of get some more of them off. And then, <laughs> again, so the flocking, of course, got everywhere. Like, it started to kind of, as we were, like, yanking on the tree to try to get these lights off, it started getting everywhere. Then, like, we hadn't emptied the little bucket of water. So the water kind of, like, sloshed out at one no, point. No, and no. created a paste with Mm-mm. the flocking. Oh, God, y'all. It was... It was awful. You smile now, but oh. it's funny to look to like think back on. But at the time, I really was like, "Will is never going to let me decorate our Christmas tree again." <laughs> Thank God she's not crawling yet, because you would like with the flocking everywhere yeah. too. Thank God, like she be eating. I knew the ho- we had a house. We have a housekeeper come every couple of weeks, and I knew she was coming the next day. So I was like, "We have to do this tonight." Yeah, because yeah, so smart. It's gonna get everywhere and so luckily the next day they came they cleaned everything up and it's fine but (laughs) it was rough man (laughs) anyway so that was fun um but (laughs) that was my trial and my triumph karen okay a million years ago you one of your triumphs was y'all went 
and saw an 80s band at Bankman's. Yes. Yes. Called Members Only. Members Only. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So I remembered this. And um, they just yes, had a ladies' night. They did a ladies' night um, <laughs> last Saturday at Bankman's. <laughs> and it was the Saturday before Will's 35th birthday. And I, like, I've never thrown him a birthday party. And you make like, him do all this stuff around the house and you never throw him birthday parties. I'm just not a big birthday person. <laughs> I know. But so in December, I was like, oh, crap, this is actually his 35th birthday. Like, I need to do something. Mm-hmm. So I was going to have just a big dinner party. And then I found out that Bank- I looked up the calendar and Bankman's was having an 80s band. Mm. He's born in 1984. So, of course, I'm like, perfect. this is perfect. So we reserved a big table. And I just had like, it may as well have been my birthday party because I was having so much mm-hmm. fun. It was a blast. If anyone's in the Atlantic era, you have to go. Like, yeah. They, oh my gosh, one of the guys wears leather pants and he has like long curly hair and a wind machine. Yeah, they're like into it. They're into it. They had like synchronized high kicks with the drums at one point. Like they were just so much fun. I was like so sweaty and like (laughs) just like danced solid for two two hours. It was so fun. Awesome. So we like, Bankman's is a music venue, but sorry to anyone that missed this episode that Karen talked about. I don't even know which episode it was, but um. It's a music venue, but they also have, like, a really good bar and good food. It's a restaurant that always has live music. Yeah. Always. But they have a dance floor. Yes, they have a dance They'll floor. They'll push the tables back. Yeah. Uh-huh. And they kind of rub That's, off a little area. Uh-huh. Hilarious. Um, and so we res- I reserved, like, a big table for 16, and um, so we got there, like, a little early before the band started and had dinner. And um, anyway, it was a blast. I think I had more fun than anyone. Like <laughs> I got more into the dancing than anyone else, but Excellent. it was, um, it was just so fun. And also like, we hadn't really like been out since the baby was born. <gasps> That's right. So it was like our first big, like, you know, mm-hmm. out and about, out and about. And it was, well, the good thing about so banks is they close it down at 11 or 12. I yeah, mean, like they, don't, they were closed at 12. I think because yeah. of sound ordinances, they don't go, they're done hard stop. I actually yeah. appreciate one of those. Where yeah. You're, yeah. It's like, get out. Over. Yeah. And you know, like, okay, I got to make these two hours count. I'm going to like go hard. Mm -hmm. You're not like, I know I'm staying out till three, so I got to like taper this. You're like, go hard because then I'm going home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We had to go pick up the baby afterwards. So (laughs) after. Yeah. So I wasn't drinking, but probably everyone else thought I was. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, it was really fun. So um, thank you for that tip. And if you're in Atlanta, you have to go look up their schedule and try to go because it was a blast. But I kind of want to go back every quarter. I think they play every quarter. I kind of want to go back. Oh, yeah. Next. So maybe we could do a field trip. That'd be fun. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> just tell me when. I'm Some there. Instagram live yeah. <laughs> for true shaming. All right, Karen. It's your Wait, turn. Wait. Well, oh, you did your That's, both. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm ready. All right. So I will start with my trial, which similar to David, I'm a 60 percenter. I, I appreciate love... you like knowing that you're a 60%. <laughs> know yeah, I'm all about starting a project, kind of getting an understanding of how it's going to look when it's done and then never finishing it. Okay. <laughs> so I have started a project and I probably have told you all about it. I don't think I've mentioned it on the podcast, but I put it on my Instagram, which is upholstering these doors in my bedroom, not yes. my bedroom, my guest bedroom. So my ultimate end game is I want to upholster the door that is swings between my dining room and my kitchen. Oh, okay. I didn't know that was on your list. Yeah, that's my end game. But I wanted to practice on the guest room closet doors because I have no idea if I can do it, right? Uh, I don't know if it's DIY project or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so 
I pulled one down. There are three little closet doors. I pulled one down. I did it. It looks great. And I covered it in this sort of like faux leather that has this, it sounds so Vegas, this faux leather with like a metallic sheen. I know. Doesn't that sound it gross? Does, no, it does it sounds, sound gross. I have a picture in my head and it's very terrible. It's like a, yes, it's sort of like a gray, <laughs> like slightly metallic-y pearlescent leather. And I did some nail heads on it and stuff. And it looks great. Okay, that was probably three months ago, four months ago that I did the one door. The other two doors, I haven't put the door back on. I haven't done the other two doors. This is like a trifold door. Yeah. Correct? Okay. So And you like like stapled in all the uh-huh, batting uh-huh, and everything. Uh-huh. I did I'm all really that. Impressed. I did all that. And it still will fit on the door. You don't know if it will fit. Well, no, no, it should fit. The batting's only on the front. It doesn't go around the It doesn't the go sides. up the top and the Mm-mm, bottom. No, you stop the batting. I did Google the you DIY of how to do it. Oh. Yeah, I got a little um some upholstery strip. Uh-huh. stuff um, that gives you a really clean edge with the edge of the fabric. That's just, that's something you I do. I had no mm-hmm. idea how to do that, but I, I read about it. I did it. Um, not hard. You really only have to do that on the one edge. Like say you're opening a closet door with your left hand and you're looking at that door. Mm-hmm. It's just that edge there. That's the only edge you really see. You don't see yeah. the top. Yeah. You don't see the bottom and you don't see the hinge side. So yeah. those sides you just wrap around and staple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got it. Um. So it looks good. I've got one done. I put the nail heads on it and everything on the other two. I literally had someone who listens to the podcast see it on my Instagram months ago and just recently were like, hey, DM to me on Instagram, like, what up with your, <laughs> your doors? They're like waiting to do Want their to own. to hear about yeah. it. Yeah. Like, well, uh, here's where we are. Nowhere. So, but I am going to get, um, I'm, I'm trying to get it done this weekend. I'll try to get it done. And then I want to get our Adele. I think it's called the Adele hardware, which is a square. It's basically an open square brass mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and use that as my knobs on Love those it. doors. Won't what that be cool? Nail heads? They're brassy. Okay. So it'll go well. Yeah. Like an antique brass. That'll look really fabulous. So I'm excited about that. You just need like a couple weekends to really. It really should take me like two hours if, or, or four maybe, I guess, maybe two per door if I'm careful. The nails you have to really, and I don't really like to measure too much. I like to eyeball stuff. You we, know what I mean? Do, yeah, we do. You. you do know that about me. So, She's going to have hot glue guns out the next time we're over there. Maybe. And it's going to be laying on the table. <laughs> Welcome. I have some wine. Please. Right. These will not be straight get lines. Get to work. So that is my trial that I just can't seem to get that done. Okay. My triumph is, you guys, I gave Joe Mooney the world's best Christmas gift. So, you know, Mr. French had his demise this year. and We all love him. And Mr. French hung out with Joe every single day at the house. So Joe is very, very emotionally attached still to Mr. French. Talks Aww. about him, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I discovered through Instagram this really cool local artist who does pet portraits. But they're very, very interesting pet portraits. It's not like, you know. It's not like super realistic to where it's right. just and um whimsical kind of versions of your pet. And um her name is Lacey Freeman. And I discovered her because I follow one of my local framers. I don't even know why I do, but I do. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I like them and I like to support local businesses. Yeah. And so they had framed something of hers and had talked about it. I'm like, oh, that's cute. And she does a lot of like um I'll send you a link to this to her or to the picture or whatever, but she does them sort of like she'll do an animal that like the head's just in like the bottom third of a very tall, skinny canvas. And so it's there's a lot of um, 
what do you call that? Free space? Like negative space. Uh, negative space um, around it. And so you just send a portrait of your dog, pictures. I just sent her like three or four pictures and she painted it and I had it in time for Christmas and totally surprised you, Mooney. And it looks he, just like Mr. French. Well, apparently, <laughs> um, it was. I think it was his last gift that we gave him and I, I the kids gave it to him. Zach and Jacob gave it to him. And... Um, and he liked it, but then they told me that when I went up, got up to go into the kitchen, that he cried. He did cry. Oh, it's real that's sweet. It's really sweet. It's a really cute portrait, you guys. And it's fun. Like, it's because it's a fun little whimsical portrait. So it's yeah. sweet. Cute. Oh. Where are you hanging? I don't know. Okay. I don't know yet. I was thinking probably in the basement, but I don't know. In the new basement where everything will be going. <laughs> we're, <laughs> yeah. we're all new purchases. So. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. Aww. So, Lacey oh. Freeman. Lacey Freeman, she's very okay. We'll fun link artist. to her in the show notes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess it's time to get to our guest. So let's do it. All right. I can't wait. We are so excited to have award-winning interior designer Brian McCarthy here today. He's on the '80s 100 list. His firm works on projects around the world. And he is a former partner of Parrish Hadley, which um, we're going to have to talk to you about later because you wrote the book, literally, on Parrish Hadley and <laughs> their sort of history. Tr- yeah, yeah. Well, they're like protégés, essentially. Yeah. Um, you also have another book called Luminous Interiors. And um, your your style, I would say, and you you tell me if you think this is accurate. It mm. blends. <laughs> we'll see. But just looking at your portfolio, <laughs> you have a lot of traditional elements, but also a lot of contemporary elements. And um, the art in your projects, I think, really stands out. You have a gorgeous eye for um, picking art, and um, they're clean. The projects are cl- or your your design projects are clean, but also bold. I feel like that's a very difficult thing to pull off because it seems like it can either be bold or it can be clean, but to be both is impressive. And then I forgot to mention that you wrote the book on Parrish Hadley with our friend, Bunny Williams. Love Bunny. We we love love Bunny. Yeah. Yeah. The book, I could not have done the book without Bunny, honestly. You know, because her, not to, sorry. It's, you know, what was, what was wonderful is, you know, I had sort of my view of Parrish Hadley, which was from 1983 until I left the firm. And of course, then when the firm closed, but Bunny went back to the 60s, late 60s. And so she had this, you know, this completely different point of view and the storytelling that she brought to the book and to, you know, the way the two of us then told the story together was unbelievable. You know, it mean, and, and and it just made us even better friends. I mean, we had the best time doing it. And the other thing with the book that was interesting, I was a little bit concerned that when everybody started to tell their stories in the various chapters on each, you know, each other, that there'd be this, um, either that there could be this maybe sameness about the storytelling. Every chapter is so rich in each person's experiences and they're so varied and different. And so as an, you know, as kind of a, a history of the firm and, um, you know, what Albert and Mrs. Parrish meant to everybody, I mean, there's nothing like it. There's never been anything like it. There's no other firm like it, really. Um, and there's no firm that's spawned the number of people that have gone on to really doing things in such a big way. So I'm very proud to be part of that that history. And I was so lucky 
that when I was graduating from Pratt, my senior, my, my last semester senior year, I'd been offered a job by another firm, which I accepted. And the day that I presented my thesis, I got this phone call. I got back to my apartment. The phone rang and it was this decorator saying, gee, I'm so sorry. I can't wait. I've had to hire somebody else so you no longer have a job. Wow. So, you know, if I think back over, you know, my years in the business and my own history, it would have been totally rewritten, you know, totally different story. Would not be sitting here today talking about any of this because it wasn't something like Parrish Hadley. And it certainly wasn't somebody that, I mean, whatever. At any rate, <laughs> I, I got very lucky. Right. Yeah. <laughs> for the well, best. tell us how the, how the idea for the book came about because, I mean... I feel like that's such an unusual concept for a design book. Well, I, you know, I think it it was so necessary. And I'd, I'd actually written an outline for the book 10 years probably, or eight years before I actually um, really had a conversation with Bunny about it. I'd already talked to our agent about it. But the reason that it didn't come about is that Danny was like, you can't do a book on Parrish Hadley until you've done a book on yourself. So first Luminous <laughs> Interiors, fair. which which we did, which which was also great because it really um, kind of taught me a bit about, you know, how these books get done, what's involved, you know, the writers, the photographers, the individual decorators, the, you know, everything behind it. So, you know, it, it streamlined the process. It also, because I'd done the other book, the minute we went to, or the minute Jill Cohen went to STC and said, you know, we're pitching this idea, before she could even get the words out of her mouth, they were like, absolutely, don't show it to anybody else. I mean, Rizzoli was so upset that they didn't get it. Mm. I mean, all the publishers <laughs> wanted to do it. Sure. Um, so, you know, it was just, I mean, that's that's kind of how it came about. And of course, when Bunny really got, even though I'd told her years before, she got wind of that and then she was like a driving force right behind it. But Albert, one night, which I don't remember how many years ago it was, at the end of a night, one of one of the nights with Albert that you're in theory gonna have dinner. But you know, dinner is Albert drinking his gin. I'm not sure what I was drinking. Many cigarettes later by Albert and some mixed nuts on a table. Right, heavy on party, light yeah. on dinner. Yeah, <laughs> on the dinner party. But such fun because the minute the minute you you know get in that mode with him, he would just start his storytelling, and you know you'd be talking about everything from soup to nuts, and it was amazing, just amazing. But at the end of that night, I. I said to Albert as I was about to leave, you know, I've I've written up this outline for this book on Parrish Hadley, which I want it to be titled Tree of Life because you all are the tree of life for all of us. And as I was walking out the door, he stopped me and he looked at me and he said, kiddo, he said, that's going to be a bestseller. Oh. And it was, I mean, he was so excited. His sister, I was sorry that Albert didn't live to see it published, but his sister, Betsy, uh, in Nashville, got the first copy of the book once we received it in the office. Oh, wow. So, um, yeah. So that's that's kind of the story behind Tree of Life. It's very That's cool. amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was it was definitely interesting to, to see the different relationships. And it it's a, you know, it's a gorgeous book, but I, I read... The story is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know how some of them you're like, I just want to, I just want a beautiful coffee book with like, yeah. Right. No, it was definitely a read and each story was different and it was, it was beautiful. And your, and your book is also a beautiful collection of, and I read through that one too. <laughs> well, there's some I don't read through. I'm like, okay, beautiful work. You know, like I want to look at the images, but just reading the story behind, um, 
Well, it's interesting people that I work with and um, or work for, and it's telling their stories through the interiors that we do. And that's mm -hmm. what makes it so exciting for me. I was just on the phone. In fact, just before I walked out the door, there was a woman from Greenwich, Connecticut, who reached out about a potential project. And, you know, I was sort of walking her through, uh, you know, early stages, getting to know clients, you know, figuring out what their lifestyle is and, you know, what's going to resonate and, you know, all of that. And, and, you know, that's very much what that book, you know, is talking to is the, you know, developing these relationships you know, particularly with new clients, I always say when I meet a new client, when they walk out the door, it's, you know, I refer to it as a first date. And so, you know, you kind of leave that meeting thinking, ooh, do I want a second date or right. not? And, um, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're heartbroken too, because you're so sure. I mean, it feels so natural, feels so good. And you think for sure the phone's going to ring again, you're going to hear from them. Yeah. And it doesn't. They so, ghost you. Yeah. Do you ghost them? Like, do you have clients that come in for your first, you know, date, so to speak, and then you're like, uh-uh, and you just oh, don't? Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. What makes that a hard no? Uh, well, it's not, it's, you know, it's funny because it's in the client's court generally. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've definitely turned people down and it's only, well, it's two part. It's one, if I'm so busy, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. um, but if it's somebody that's really interesting to me, I'm going to figure out how to make it work mm -hmm. because then I'm going to really want to do it. But if I really don't feel it on a personal level mm -hmm. with somebody, then I don't, if, if I have that doubt, I don't want to open up that door because I really do trust my instincts uh -huh. after just a few years in the business. <laughs> well, what makes the project interesting to you? It's, uh, I think it starts with a client's being curious mm -hmm. about things and being open because if somebody comes to me and they're a shut book, you know, I need a book open, not closed. And I want somebody, because the other thing I always try to impart is I want to show you what you've never seen before, you know, and expand your horizons and get you really excited and get you thinking outside the box and introduce you to artists I'm going to say it's probably more related to furniture and lighting and things like that. But I still consider these people artists, mm -hmm. sort of the Jean-Michel Francks of today. But I want these people to embrace the idea of this kind of bespoke um, nature to the business that, that we do, you know, which makes it very alive. It's, you know, I also refer to the interiors that I do as scrapbooks of people's lives. So this is all part of the storytelling. You know, which makes it for them. I mean, I also want to make the ride of doing this because it's such a joy for me and it should be a joy for everybody. Not that it always is, but, you know, we all know we have good days and bad days. Yeah, for sure. One thing I've noticed um, among all of the, I guess, people that come out of Parish Hadley is your layouts are, the layouts of the rooms that you do are so intricate and like, I don't know, they're unusual to me. Like, it's not your classic, like, kind of square, like, club chair and a sofa. Right. They're, they're, and the reason I was thinking of it, there's a, um apartment or, I guess, a condo or whatever at the Apthorpe building. Oh, yeah. Yeah, on the did. west side. And the and and people can see. Well, I'll put a link to it. It was in um, Gallery Magazine and I think a couple other places, too. But... Um, I felt like the layout was so unusual and you had a pair of chairs and they were in two different, they were very unusual chairs and they were in two different seating areas. And I just thought I would have never, like you would, I would never see that before. And so maybe you can tell me, tell us a little bit about how working with Parrish Hadley 
like how that informed the way that you lay out a room because it's well I, it's yeah unique. yeah i mean I, you know the basic principle of um furniture plans at parish hadley it was um making it function in more than one way number one number two um getting different seating groups making it conversational and and then albert always talked about and and would think about the skyline how your eye moves around a room so when you talk about the chairs being sort of split it's also getting the eye to carry around instead of it just being everything in pairs i mean in this case it's working in pairs um, but it's it's moving the pairs, so you're getting a you're getting a dialogue between the different groups without it being quite so staid. Um, I mean, that's an interesting apartment too because it's a client that's much more modern in 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 her sensibility. I mean, she and her husband, but much more driven by her, and um, and much more sort of mid century, which is the last thing on earth you would ever associate with me. You know, being <laughs> quite as modern as that, mm -hmm. and we never even met. And we just oh. over the phone and I'd sent her a copy of the book and we had these conversations. I got the job. They were off to Tel Aviv for the winter and we started working on the apartment. But the thing that I think really sold it was the apartment. The Apthorpe is such an amazing building for New York and, you know, early 20th century. I think it's about 1907. Um, and it just has the most gracious, uh, you know, kind of room proportions and, and details. And I went crazy. I was... <laughs> I would have like that's that's an example I would have died if I hadn't been able to do yeah. it. I don't always get to see the projects before I meet the client, but in this case I saw the apartment and you know that's all I had to say was how much I loved it and you know she kind of you know got on the the bandwagon with me and and we just had this amazing experience and that was so kind of collaborative between Sorry, I'm getting so off off your point no, about the furniture her. plan, Keep but <laughs> but but it you know in in working it with her too because she was so used to everything being so orthogonal and you know kind of set and this was such a departure and I know that she was a bit concerned that it might appear to be a little bit um, I don't want to say cluttered cluttered isn't quite the word but that it wouldn't be to her eye as ordered as she would want it to be. And she walked into that room and she thought she died and gone to heaven. I mean, she was so happy. <laughs> I love it. But all that goes back to my roots. And, you know, it'd be sitting with Albert and you'd sit at his desk and with tracing paper, you'd start sketching furniture plans. And I mean, that was my foundation, um, you know, in learning how to do that. And it's, you know, practice makes perfect. And I love to this day, I do all the furniture plans in the office. Um, and I also by hand, by hand, but then I give it all, it yeah, goes to yeah. somebody that you know, <laughs> is working on CAD and, you know, getting it all sort of massaged and perfect. Um, but one of the things I actually said to Albert one day, this was, you know, long after leaving him and I had started as I developed furniture plans, turning the plans around and looking at them from different points of view in the room. So in other words, you're walking in, you know, a door from a terrace or you're coming in from the main hall or depending upon what the, what the room is, but thinking about what you look across to um, as you enter. And it starts to make you think about the room in a very whole way that if you just sort of put it in front of you and you've got your title block here and here's your front door and you're sort of looking at the plan, it's easy to do it that way. But if you start to move it around, it might just tempt you to think differently than you would 
rather than just looking at it from that one point That's of view. That's so smart. Because I do, you know, like I'll do a floor plan in my house or whatever, and I'm always orienting it probably like from the street, you know, and I always look at it that way or maybe mm-hmm. the door you enter from when yeah. I'm doing a room. It is so smart to kind of flip it around and look and how does it look from here and there. And it's just as important to think, put yourself on a sofa. If you're looking back out a door, what is that door taking you to? Or a window, what are you looking out to? So even if you're if you're building a house and you're thinking about garden design, you know, you even start to think about that in a very different way than you would if you just were out, just on the outside sort of looking at it as a garden. Because to me, I love gardens. And so the outdoor space is important as the indoor space. I loved um, the story, I believe, okay, you correct me if I'm wrong, but the story in that um, article of that, the the couple that had the apartment in the Apthorpe building, she like would tear stuff out of magazines yes. or whatever, and she must have torn one of your projects out. It was a out bathroom. And it's this iconic tucked bathroom. it away. I know it's crazy too that that could lead to a job. <laughs> and then like a 10 bathroom. years later, yeah. she finds yeah. it and she's like, okay, this guy, yeah. I'm going to call him. But it always is. Thank goodness your name was on it, it's, right? Thank Sometimes God. you pull the wrong I know, page. I know, I know, I <laughs> know. But, but it is, it's funny because, you know, you think you're in these magazines and it's so rare that when the magazines come out, even within a few months, it's rare that anybody ever picks up the phone and calls you. It's stories like that where it's years later or, you know, I have a client that um, I had given my services to a benefit that they auctioned off like a half day of consultation or something. And it turned into a major client, but it was years later and she called me up and she said, I'm sure it's past the limit of being able to claim this, but, you know, I always liked your work and I, you know, I bought this and, you know, we had this first meeting and it was just love at first sight. So you just never know, you know, what that's going to lead to. Okay. One more question about that apartment. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the, you talk in the, I guess it was the interview that's, I, I think it was gallery magazine about wanting to restore the, I guess, envelope of the space to its original form. Yeah. Um, but then, and then, so it was sort of like a preservation almost. Um, but then I felt like all, all of the light fixtures in the project were very modern and unusual. And so I wanted to talk about how I think a lot of people think about restoration and they think of restoring the original fixtures and why you deviated so dramatically from what would have been there originally because they were right. spectacular. Oh yeah, it had nothing to do with the apartment at all. But that was <laughs> but that was kind of the yin and yang of it too, which mm-hmm. makes it really interesting. Uh, you know, I would say in the living room, it was um, a fixture that was done by Erwe van der Straten, um, but it was a, a commission for another decorator for a client. And it had this, we'd been looking for a long time and it had this Matisse-like quality to the cutout shape of the bronze, of the, the way it kind of overlays as these leaves. And with all the plaster work in the living room ceiling, I mean, it was just like, I saw that. I mean, the client was not convinced initially, Uh but it was, I mean, it was like one of these, this is destiny. You will never be able to do better than this. And it's, I mean, it's now been two years, I guess, since we finished that apartment. Every time I go in there, I mean, I cannot imagine that apartment without that particular fixture, but I think all the lights in that apartment are really cool and really Mm -hmm. interesting and really varied in shapes and forms and and yet somehow it all just kind of works seamlessly together so how does someone have the guts to do that in their own if they haven't hired you because <laughs> you're they, too busy 
<laughs> Never. <laughs> how do you, how do you have how do you know what will work if your space is really traditional, but you want to kind of branch out and pull something? I'll tell more. you. I, I'll tell you a. It's not even a trick. It's so basic, but because I go through this in my office all the time with with younger people, younger decorators, which is to, if you have images of the things that you want to assemble in a room and you you are trying to think through what works and what doesn't work, lay them down, look at it all together, arrange it in some way on a tabletop, just the images, and sort of put them as they relate to each other and look at it all together. And you can have things that are very different, but they need to have some language that they're speaking to each other that works. And if you start to move things around that way, it's it will help you from making mistakes. You will learn a lot from just, you know, how you um, put these combinations together or compose. Let's let's call it it's a composition in a room, um, you know, how you might relate things. And it's it's an easy thing to do. It takes no time and it's and it really will save you from making mistakes. And I would also say, I mean, you know, one of the things, and I didn't bring it with me today and I should have brought it with me, but Albert Hadley never went anywhere without that very old fashioned folding ruler. And it's funny, I was in Monaco on a job site a few weeks ago and I gave it to the landscape architect and <laughs> he took it from me and he started to flex it and it broke. Ah. And he looked at me and he goes, oh my God, I'm so sorry. He said, you know, he goes, it looks like something my grandmother used to have. And I, was like, I looked at him and I was like, how dare you? <laughs> but but my, my point is, you know, even something like that, I mean, I've, I've for the last 30 something years, I always have a folding ruler with me and you can use it to, um, you know, you can bend it around so you can make the idea of a console table or a commode and you can sort of hold it on a wall and see whether it appears to be of a, you know, a good width or depth That's or height. Smart. And, yeah, that yeah. Is smart. You know, it's, it's just these little things that will, and it also, it, by doing things like that too, it gets you to think about relative scale. So you really start to understand size. I mean, this is a totally different topic, but it's, you know, so much business is done now on the computer screen and everybody's losing the ability to actually see things because either they don't have time or they lose the interest or the dealers are sadly like disappearing right and left. But the only way you're going to really learn scale is by going out and seeing things, touching things, opening things. Um, I mean, it's so critical to good design. Well, I... I'm in product design at Ballard and it's very much, it's that realistic, you know, measuring something. And even though you, you can look up the dimensions online, it is something about looking at that molding and being like, well, I don't like that turn or I don't, for me, it's in very person. Much, there's yeah. something yeah. about a tangible, yeah. like touching and feeling and realizing how something works. And that definitely gives you, yeah, you, you're thinking through the small details where it's very easy to wash over that. Right. You know, I can. Definitely right. make a box with those dims on a computer screen. Yeah, yeah. It's fine. But the details that are I think the, lost. I think the feeling that you give to a space, you can only really give if you're, you're finding things. You're finding the things. And I think it leads you to finding more interesting things and, and things that aren't so obviously a couple. Um, so yeah, I just, you can never get out and look too much. I mean, and I know everybody, I mean, I'm limited with my time too, but I so often I see something and if I don't, well, particularly like on first dibs where 
I can't remember now if it's back to telling you where it comes from. But, you know, for a long time, I mean, there were so many instances where you wouldn't know who the dealer was. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, if I know who a dealer is or if I can look into it, I can have confidence in what I'm buying. But if I don't know, even if I'm asking for 20 detailed photographs of, you know, the legs, the arms, you know, whatever it may be, I'm still not 100%. So your homework is really important in, in everything that we do. Speaking of scale, um, we heard you're doing a small boat. Very small. <laughs> I'm actually. It's not a boat, right? It's a yacht. Well, it's it's. I I hate the I hate the phrase. I mean, it's referred to as a super yacht, and it's it's actually it's the largest ship that's live largest um, private boat built in Holland to date. There's another one now coming up behind her that's that's bigger. Um, she's 360 feet. And I don't even like speaking of scale. I don't even know how long that is. It's, 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 a, fo- it's a football field. It's a football field. Yeah. The boat is the or size of a actually, football I think it's field. It's bigger than a football field. Yeah. Well, think about it. Football field is a hundred yards. A hundred yards. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's wow. a big, it's a big boat. It's a big boat. And My super yacht is a hundred yards. It is. Yeah. <laughs> Mine's one hundred and five. So I'm bigger than you. <laughs> They're big boats. Yeah. And, and it's, have you done several of these, or is this no, your first no, super no. yacht? I have a client who is based in Europe and he had started the process of designing the boat. He has a boat. He has a, his current boat is 210 feet. And, <laughs> um, well, actually the original design for the new boat was 450. Um, at which point he sort of realized that that was just making it too big, which rightly so, because it's huge. <laughs> and how much space do you really need? Right. Um, and, and he had gotten very far through this design process and came to me three and a half years ago and said, you know, I'd really like to get you on board. It took quite a few months to really get me on board, at which point the boat was its fed ship in Holland, who are the gold standard for shipbuilding for these boats. Um, and they were fabulous. And the architect, Michael Leach, who is in the south of England, um, I mean, it just was all the way around the most wonderful experience, one of the most wonderful experiences I've ever had. So I was very, very, very lucky. And I was very lucky in that I had a client that was willing to bring me into a boat like this where I have no experience. <laughs> right. What yeah. kind of things are particular to a boat that wouldn't be, you know, applicable to a home? What do you have to do differently? Well, you have to think about, you know, things being secure. I mean, this boat mm-hmm. just made its maiden voyage across the Atlantic. So tomorrow I'm flying down to Antigua to see her before my client comes in two weeks. So we'll get everything set up. But like, for instance, when it does a sea crossing like that, everything has to be, a lot of things on boats are fixed, period. They're sea fastened. But then there are a lot of things that are loose. So, you know, when you do these big crossings, everything has to be strapped down. Everything has to be stored. You know, if you just think about the pantries on these boats, on these big boats, you know, where we have all the china and the glassware and the silver, everything gets fitted into uh, holders. So there's nothing that's loose. And, you know, from the owner's side too, if the boat is delivered, I mean, this is a boat that's been five years in the making. If the boat is delivered and, you know, he's in his cabin and there's vibration and screens start rattling and things like that, that is grounds for, I don't want the boat. I'm not going to take delivery of it. So it's, you know, the engineering of these boats. Uh I have never seen anything like it in my life. I mean, my first visit to Holland to the shipyard was when it was just sheets of steel being welded together. And so to Mm -hmm. see it from that early stage to where it is today, completely done, um, is pretty extraordinary. So how long does it take? 
too. Five years, they said, right? Well, it was four years construction. I've been three years, you know, on it. I mean, so at the point that I started, there was a hull formed of in steel, but that was basically it. There were no decks. There were no, I mean, it was, you know, very rough. Yeah. It looked like a big Richard Serra sculpture in rusted steel, which <laughs> Sarah's one of my favorite artists. What's, what's the style of the interiors? It's, it's modern without being ultra modern. You know, it's, my client is a little bit more traditional. So it's, it's a reference, let's say to the twenties and thirties, a little bit more modern vibe. I mean, except like, for instance, the stair hall we did, we have three stories of carved mica panels. And, um, so the mica, they're big sheets that have been laminated, but then it's all carved. It's like a Jean-Michel Franck gouged surface. And you have three stories of that and, you know, glass railings. And I mean, it's, it's, you've got a, you know, skylight above the top of this whole thing. So you get this amazing kind of filtered light that rakes the walls and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty glam. Wow. It's pretty glam. But it's, but it's, a, you know, the thing is this, this was really the directive. The point of me getting involved in this boat was to really make it a home on the water and not just another big boat. Mm. And so, I mean, that that was also part of the fun for me. And it was an interesting experience for FedShip and for the boat designer because they only think about boats as boats or right. ships as ships. And so, you know, I was bringing a very different point of view. So, you know, you get most of it right but not all of it right and you know an example would be you select a fabulous table but it's cantilevered and there's some flexibility in the surface of it and you know you suddenly get that on and you realize oops mm -hmm. you know i'm gonna we're gonna have to modify the design to make sure that it's really stable and and secure and you know it's just things like that and um it becomes it becomes um common sense at a certain point but it takes time to sort of figure out some of those things. I mean, I would love to do another boat now. Really? Yeah. And my <laughs> senior person. Put it person, out there. All yeah, you yacht owners. Exactly. Call Brian. Please, please, please. <laughs> um, but it's funny because Jared Austin, who's my most senior person in the firm, who's worked with me from the get-go on this, about nine months ago, 10 months ago, he was like, I don't think I have the energy to do another boat like this. <laughs> but then as he started to see it all really coming together, he came to me and he said, we have to do another boat <laughs> because you learn so much. It's such a waste of knowledge if you if you go right, through the process done, of yeah. doing all of this, which can translate to a boat that's a third the size or you know less than. I mean, True. it's it's all things that would be relevant to any size boat. Are there certain things one needs to consider uh, as far as the textiles or even art that you would put on there? Is it affected by sea air or mm. is it all okay? It's you know what in general. Well, it depends. I mean. Because this is private, we don't have to worry about, um, you know, flame retardant materials and things like that. So none of the, there was nothing out of bounds unless it would either be affected by movement because, you know, I mean, it's true, even a boat this big, like anything, you get a rogue wave, you get rough seas, things are going to move and, right. and things are going to flex. There's going to be some give. So, you know, you have to think practically about things like that. So, you know, I really leaned on the architect and the and the boat builders, you know, if they felt like something that was being presented was a bad idea, um, you know, I would absolutely take that seriously right. and sure. not make that suggestion. But in general, you know, I pretty much sky was the limit. Okay. which was great. Well, I was curious about accessories because I imagine you bring sculpture and objet into your project. So how do you 
Sakaram? Yeah. Yeah, even they can, they, they can, well, you can do, there are forms of like museum wax, which are rather adhesive. It depends on what it is, but many things, even like the lamps are actually CFAS. And so there's a whole process we go through when we're, you know, either making things or acquiring things, you know, how they get adapted so they can be C-fastened. Um, you know, sculptural things, objects, they tend to get put away, but you definitely think as you edit, you don't want too many things because then for the crew, it's a nightmare. Right. Yeah. And you really have to think about that. And I mean, this is a crew of 45, you know, the boat, I mean, if you think about it <laughs> every, but every day the boat is getting washed, all the glass is getting clean. I mean, it's, you know, it's all glass railings outside. I mean, it's the task of maintaining one of these super yachts is beyond your wildest imagination. I mean, I still can't wrap my head around it. Frankly. How, how many guests does it accommodate? 14. Four, so 45 people to 14 guests. Right. That is my kind of ratio right there. Me too. Right? <laughs> Let's go. You've Do you get two of... weeks on the super yacht as part of your trade-out? Well, I did. I, it a hasn't beer. been offered up to me yet. However, the captain, Giles, um, has said he would like me on for four or five days to really work the crew and, and understand the mechanics of how it all operates. Oh, because, you, <laughs> you know, I haven't really done that. So sure. I'm counting on that at some it's point. It's a cross I'm not you're sure willing where. to bear. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what an education, though. Yeah. I mean, so you you said you've had a wide variety of projects. What has been your biggest challenge? Has it been the yacht? <laughs> uh, you know, I would. Uh, whew, I was. I was going to say yes, but actually not. Um, we've been working on a project. Oh God, this is the wrong one to really reference. But I've been working on a project in Switzerland for nine years, and um, it's really like doing a boutique hotel. And there's so many complexities to the spa complexes that we've done and disco and indoor Is pool. It a home? And it's a home. Mm. It's a, a it's, disco. I want a disco. It's cool. Yeah. We, we worked with, there's a, an artist here in New, in New York, Michelle Okadoner. So we did the walls are all bronze screens, but it's dragonfly wings that were the inspiration for the design. So, and it's all backlit. So that's, that's the disco wow. walls. And then you look into this. Are they going to sheer? Or they're, like perforated or they're something? They're perforated. Through. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And uh, anyway, so you, and then from the disco, you're looking into the indoor pool and the indoor pool is, was inspired by Brancusi. So all the columns around the pool are Brancusi and the pool is 111 feet by 33 feet. And then there's a skylight into a reflecting pool into a garden above. And Patrick Blanc, who sort of the, the, um, the developer of these living walls, so to speak. He did the Brandley Museum in Paris, among other things. But we commissioned him to do three walls in the indoor pool, which makes it feel very tropical. So when you're in the mountains of Switzerland in the snowy of, you know, snow of winter, and you get to go into the sort of tropics of this pool, it's a pretty amazing experience. Wow. And nine years you said you were working on that? Nine years, and we're just like getting into the final two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> that is a long. Well, there was a little, there was a break in between, yeah. to be totally truthful. But, but it's, but it, yeah. there's something that's been going on for nine years. I mean, we have a full, we're doing a, a full 18th century Turkish hammam underground. So the central dome, the hot room, is 10 meters high. Where do these ideas even come from? You know what I need? A disco and a Turkish hammam. A client that right. you know, so likes like a lot of different spaces right? for different things. I love it. But I mean, it would never even occur to me. It's amazing. It wouldn't yeah. occur to me either. Right? <laughs> okay, I have to go back to the boat for one second. <laughs> did you, and how much did you know already about like weight capacity too in your design? Because it, you've done, you've fully 
done walls and yeah, anyway. I oh just, yeah, you know, I mean, here's the good news. The boat is so big that there was really nothing weight-wise that ever became an issue, even though I would hear about it from FedShip. I mean, if you look at all the marble bathrooms and they're yeah, all they, like that's blocks what I, of stone. Right. That's what I mean. Where my... It, 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 uh, you know, unless it was, uh, you know, a Jeff Koons egg at, you know, uh, I don't know, two tons or something or three tons. Right. I mean, then you'd probably have a problem. But, but I don't, <laughs> otherwise, I mean, there was never an issue really of concentrated yeah. weight anywhere. I was just, I saw that even like the tub you did and I was like, I feel like my house wouldn't support that. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. and 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 most wouldn't, except that it's all steel structure, right? Right. You know, I mean, it is nice. plates of steel. There's there's nothing that's going to give that's within awesome. reason. Did you right. design the lifeboats? I didn't, but and I haven't been on the tender yet. There are two fifty foot tenders that you know they have these doors below decks that open out, so you have like a beach club and a spa, and you know, and then you get all your your little bells and whistles that come you know okay. out on these mechanical arms i know this is this is the type of question that you don't ask but what on a project <laughs> like this is there do they give you a budget or is there i mean Sky's because the limit this boat seems like there's no expense yeah spared. I, there was a budget for the project i don't frankly know what the interior budget was i mean we didn't exceed it because nobody ever cut me off at the knees but <laughs> you just kept going i kept Keep going in fact i think i even came in under budget which is pretty shocking but there was there was a lot that had been uh, planned and designed that was very elaborately carved and i got rid of all of that so you know really really cleaning it up and simplifying it but you know in simplifying it i was introducing other materials that were maybe a little bit more precious so there was a balance but at the end i know that i came in under budget so for That's everybody wonderful. out there on this podcast just know that right. under budget. he does come in under budget it does happen i'm loving it i had a question about art because we talked earlier about art being such a huge element of your spaces and um so i wondered if you could talk to us a little bit about who are your like what kind of art do you are you drawn to is this art that already belongs to your clients are you looking for it maybe yeah it you know it runs the gamut and i have a lot of clients that that love art some are real collectors and others are people that just like to live with beautiful things uh i love art myself personally and and you know we've been collecting for a long time um, you know, what, what makes great art is so subjective and, you know, I love what I do always say when we start a project is if you have art, let's start thinking about where it might go, um, you know, in context, in the context of the whole picture, it's important. Number one, because a, it could be a question of scale. B, it could be a question of color and pattern. And so when I'm presenting rooms to, you know, I'm always reminding clients that don't underestimate the strength of art and the color and the pattern and what that brings to a room. So don't always be looking for the fabrics, you know, to be a pattern or to be a texture or to be something because the art is going to contribute in a major way if that's of importance, um, you know, for, for that type of client. Uh, I can't imagine living without art. And to me, having art is like having flowers, you know, or something living in a space. I mean, to me, it really gives every property a, a heart and a soul. And if it's something that they really care about, you know, again, it goes back to that scrapbook. It goes back to speaking volumes about yourself and not, 
you know, me trying to do something with, you know, the kind of catalog of art that a lot of these collectors want to check off their list. So, you know, I'm not the person to go to and say, I want to, I want to collect art as a good investment. Right. Because to me, it's, it's emotional, it's emotional, it's visceral, it's, you know, it's all these other things. The other thing is, I mean, unless you're collecting masterpieces, try to sell it. It's not so easy. Right. <laughs> so, so, you know, yeah. note to self, but you know, you want to live it, you want to love it to live with it. Yeah. Right. So, okay. If someone wants to invest in some art, but they don't necessarily feel confident about their taste or their eye, like how would you go about helping someone look at art for the first time for their space? Go to galleries, wherever you live, you go to galleries, um, you talk to people. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's funny art galleries, particularly in New York, you, you know, you go to whether they're big or small, there's something very intimidating, you know, and I think for anybody who's smart, you know, when you're suddenly, you know, in a room of things that you don't really understand and you don't want to appear stupid, Mm -hmm. you know, or unknowledgeable, it's so important that you approach somebody, you speak to them, you know, if you're young, find somebody young that, you know, looks like they're going to speak your language. And you start to find at different galleries, A, you start to, you know, your eye starts to hone in on things that, that really appeal to you. Number one, you start to get an understanding of what things might cost, which will lead you to other galleries, you know, depending upon which, you know, part of the spectrum you want to be looking in. And, and you find that you really like programs within a gallery. It might be the director of a gallery that you're really going to, um, you know, you're really going to make a confidant and, and feel that it's somebody you can really express yourself with and be understood and be honest and say, you know what, I can only afford X. I mean, I can't tell you over all the years I've been buying furniture and art, the number of layaway plans that I have done, (laughs) which, and I kid you not so smart. I mean, the good stuff that, that we bought, has always been layaway plans uh-huh. and I will never regret any of that. So, you know, don't, don't be embarrassed at thinking that, you know, you can't afford it, but if you could do it over six months or a year or whatever it would take, believe me, dealers want to encourage young collectors right. and any collectors. And it's, it's a question they get asked all the time. So, you know, there's no, there's no out of bounds, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, what to ask for, you know, what to look at. You just have to start and it leads you down this, I think, wonderful path. Have you ever had a client have a piece of art that they loved that you hated? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) But I still, you know, it's like if a client comes to you and says, you know, I love a certain color and I'm thinking, God, that's a color I can't stand. (laughs) But the funny thing is I will always find within a, I'm going to just use color as an example, within a, within a color group, I will find a color within that, that I love, that mm-hmm. I will bring to life for them. Build so off, yeah. yeah, I've always been proven wrong where I would say, oh, I really don't like that color or something, or I'm going to find a place for that piece of art, you know, or what you mm-hmm. also find as you're developing some of these projects sometimes is people will come to you starting out thinking something is appropriate and belongs, or it has sentimental value. But as you really begin mapping it out, laying it out, acquiring things, and you're getting sort of to the end stage of installing things, you know, they may be the one that comes and says, you know what, not a great idea. You know, I know I loved it, but let's just, let's hold off. It doesn't really make sense. Uh So, you know, it's, there's also patience 
is a great virtue in design um, and allowing people the time to really kind of grow and learn and understand why you might come to them and say, that wouldn't be my first choice. That's not really the best pick. Um, you know, you don't want to just, you know, be that dictator saying, nope, can't have it. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> not fair. Ugly. It's not fair because, <laughs> yeah. Well, because what you said, it's, you know, it's about um, expressing your own um, personality in a space. And, right. and so that if they like it, it's their personality. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And they're entitled. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. I think we should do our, our question. Yeah, let's do our okay. dilemma. Um, okay, so Ginger says, I am considering a full refresh of my kitchen with a new paint on my cabinets, new backsplash, and new countertops. I love white marble countertops, but I'm afraid. I am open to quartz or quartzite. Is that what that is? Yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> but not but not knowing which finishes would look fresh and more modern. I would like to change lighting, window treatments, and hardware. I might. I may even paint my kitchen furniture. I even considered removing a cabinet or two and trying some kind of open shelving. I'm not sure where to begin. Before I dive in, I'd love to hear some expert advice. So, And it's all brown, all brown cabinetry. It looks like really dark countertops, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. like yes. black, black to me. Mm -hmm. Well, for starters, I would say just um, the I'm open to quartz and quartzite. Quartzite is great in kitchens because it's an extremely dense material that does not mark um, so it's it's quite practical. I mean, it has is a it different like Caesar stone. What is it? No, quartzite? no, quartzite is no. It's natural. Oh, okay. I mean, it's 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 you know in the family of marble. Oh, okay. But it has the quartz in it that makes it very very hard. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it can have different characteristics. It can be a little bit sparkly. I mean, it really just sort of depends what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, can can be very good. I, I certainly think you know by painting this kitchen, it would make a huge difference. You might even want to consider. Uh, you know, painting the lower cabinets uh, a different color than the upper cabinets. I not when I say color, maybe not really a different color, but a different you know shade or value. Um, and don't underestimate the strength and importance of a ceiling. You know, if mm -hmm. you're loving the idea of an essentially white kitchen, you might love the idea of that white kitchen with a color on the ceiling just to freshen it up and wake it up and make it, you know, younger and brighter and all of that. Okay, let me ask you this about having the lowers and the uppers different. And if I know no one can see this kitchen, but they have what's sort of like a tower on one side of the sink where it goes floor to ceiling. So in a space like that, if you're going to do the bottoms one color and the top, how do you, that's sort of a strange trans transition. There's not like a clear, you know. Well, here I would say because you're getting the refrigerator and the bank of ovens creating a divide. Mm -hmm. So it does sort of, I mean, without seeing the rest of the kitchen, but there would be a way to do it. Right. Okay. Everything um, above would just be that color right above the ovens and above the fridge well i'll even say like for instance in in our kitchen in our house in the country that we just sold the lower cabinets were a sort of charcoal gray and all of the trim in the room which would be the baseboards door casing crown molding so that you get that link that kind of carries it all the way around the room and then just the upper cabinets became a lighter gray okay. um, what were and the walls 
uh, walls were white. Okay. Yeah. So So you had the contrast. So you had the three colors. Mm -hmm. But I also varied. The island was in a lighter stone and the countertops around were in a darker stone. So it also allowed the island to sort of be a little bit more of its own thing rather than it all in this photograph being so dark. Do we have an image of that we can put on the podcast notes? I'm sure. Yeah, there's definitely an image of our kitchen that we can... We can provide you that with. That would be good. And I definitely think she needs to change that those light fixtures. They're not going to go with your fresh modern kitchen. I, they're kind of crystals and they're small. They feel weirdly dinky. I don't know. It seems, I mean, and obviously she'll know because she's using this kitchen, but it doesn't seem like a, I feel like the layout seems fine and everything. Like I, yeah. she talks about removing a cabinet. I mean, unless she just doesn't need it. Like it's a. Well, she was talking about open shelving. You right, know, making the top. Right, but I mean, it, it's it's pretty. It's not like ugly cabinetry or something no. that you're trying to get rid of. And so. it looks balanced, and yeah. you've got that sort of golden triangle in terms of refrigerator to stove to sink and all. No, I mean it's in that sense. I think it looks very well organized. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, just I feel like, like the refresh with color. Exactly, like mm-hmm. some paint and some new countertops, and she feel. I feel like that's going to make a way bigger difference than she is expecting it to right you know yeah i mean bar stools could be more modern you know you could start to you know things like that that would start to dial it up and really change the experience of course have you know saying all of this have no idea what the rest of the house looks like so you don't want to suddenly create this (laughs) island in the middle of you know a house that has no relationship but she does say i love white marble countertops i would say be careful because they do stain you know if you have children or you drink a lot of red wine just be careful are you saying you drink a lot of red wine I might. <laughs> I don't have white marble. See, I have the white Caesar stone, which works great. Right. Yeah. Um, no. I it think it doesn't stain, and it's much more durable. So marble is just a—it's a living thing. Yeah. It agreed. Will agreed. Yeah. You have to accept that it's going to mark. You know, you drive a car off the lot, and you know, before long, you're going to have a scratch on it, and you're going to hopefully be able to live with it. If not, you take it to the body shop. Right. Right. <laughs> so it can be just a question of maintenance. Yeah. Consider your lifestyle yeah. when you're thinking about those countertops. Yeah. I also love painted floors. I mean, again, depending upon where you want to go with it and being a painted floor doesn't mean it has to be sort of traditional old fashioned either. I mean, it could be a, you know, a fresh sort of modern, you know, take on a painted floor, which could also really, you know, create a nice contrast to whatever, you want to do with your upper cabinets and lower cabinets and countertops. Mm-hmm. It's going to be pretty ginger. We want to yeah. see after photos. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Um, we have another question from Anne, and she is okay. And she says, I got married in 1994. We saved up and bought wood furniture from Ethan Allen. We still like these pieces. However, I noticed you talk about brown furniture as being a <laughs> dreaded situation. What do you say to someone like me who tried to buy timeless pieces not knowing the actual stained wood is what is not timeless? That's yeah. not 100% true. I feel right? like we yeah. talked about how much you love brown furniture, Caroline. True. But, well, I feel like, okay, I like, I like, and I like old wood. Like right? good quality old wood, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think it all should be brown you know what I mean like I feel like we should apologize to all these people that have brown furniture that maybe have heard us ragging on it I feel like we've discussed it in the context of it not being as popular anymore Mm -hmm. because we're in the furniture business and brown finishes haven't been you know on trend on trend for a while but it seems like they're coming back and so that is sort of the context in, in which we talked about 
brown furniture I, being. I worry that Anne has a matching set of something. Well, that's what I was yes. going to say too. I think that's that's really the thing is that if it's all of a like type, then there's a sameness to the brownness of it. So, you know, there's a way to break that, you know, so maybe you remove some things from the group and you introduce some new things. And, you know, that helps to begin the dialogue in the room among the furniture. And that can make a huge difference. You know, you can also paint something. I right. mean, you know, you can refinish something if you love it. Um, you know, you can figure out a way of trying to rework it into the whole without it looking like it's part of that set of brown furniture. Exactly. So there's inherently nothing wrong with brown yeah. furniture. It's yes. just that idea of it's a, it's the granimals room. Yeah. That's what, what we don't want. And you can always take, you know, pieces out of the living room and move mm -hmm. them into the bedroom. Right. You don't have to throw them away. You know, look yeah, around your yeah. house and look functionally like, okay, well, what would work as a side table in this other room? Maybe bring it in. Maybe it looks good. Right. Or like you said, just keep an eye out for some other things that fit proportionally in your space. And but how does, out. but how does one buy timelessly? Is also kind well, of you know, well, I'm going to just say, you know, what's scary about yeah. that? What's really scary about that is I've been around long enough now that, you know, I thought I was buying timeless and it's suddenly it's this question of it feels out of date and blah, blah, blah. You know, you live long enough, you're going to go through these cycles. I mean, if you could just take that mid-century furniture that you grew up with or that, you know, I grew up with some of this Danish modern, if that had all gotten put away, somebody would want to drag it out right now and be living with it again. <laughs> right. So, you know, I think, I, I, again, I think that's, it's so subjective. It's so personal. If you love what you have, live with it and enjoy it. And, you know, I remember when, when there was this moment in women's fashion where, all the skirts had to be above the knee and well above the knee. And it's like, okay, half the people wearing them should not have, you know, really above <laughs> right. the knee skirts. And then there was that moment in the women's movement, I think, where it was suddenly like, whatever looked good on you is what was best. Mm -hmm. And I think the same applies with, with decoration. So if you feel strongly about something, um, don't become a victim of fashion and trends and things like that. Be true to yourself. Mm -hmm. But there is something about continually kind of evolving your spaces around you. Because I can't imagine anything worse than walking to a room that hasn't changed at all in 20 years. I don't think they're supposed to be like that, right? I mean, they're supposed to evolve yeah. as you evolve. Like your closet evolves as you evolve. Like something you bought five years ago, you put on, you're like, what was I thinking? Or you fall in love with something new. So you want to bring that into the mix. So as, as much as you can have those core pieces that you want to have, be timeless in your space you know your accessories or your art or your rug or your lamps or your lamp shades those are all things that you could update that those basic pieces with and, and then it won't feel as stale yes and just moving things around yes you know or mm -hmm. or you know subtracting editing something out you know and maybe it goes in a closet and eventually it might come back you know we're <laughs> not but i but i agree with you i think you know that that can make a big difference yeah there's can a funny article make... in the wall street journal i think it was today and it's basically about how uh decorating until the day you kick the bucket is the thing to do <laughs> because it keeps you excited and alive and engaged in your space and what's going on and it was it was you know said oh when i'm 100 years old my kids are going to be like trying to divvy up my stuff and the doorbell will ring and someone will be delivering a sofa <laughs> she was 100 what was she doing delivering a sofa and the guy was like well she did say rush delivery <laughs> <laughs> wasn't quick ship yeah, exactly. <laughs> you this about refreshing your space do your clients ever call you to come back or have you ever been back to a client's home and been like oh 
Tell oh, yeah. the update. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, you know, it's I mean, there's maintenance things. And of course, you know, if you're you've upholstered furniture and eight years later it's looking tired, you know, you're a probably not gonna be able to replace the fabrics because they've been discontinued or mm-hmm. something. And it's time to to, you know, change it up a little bit and and create a, a different experience that can still be very rooted in the principle of what you've done. But it makes a big difference, you know, right. to do that. And, and, you know, to go back to art, I mean, we move art. I don't want to say we move art all the time, but we have a lot of art that we do move around. And just doing that changes everything in a space. And people will come in and they'll say, I've never seen that before. When did you get it? And, you know, you're like, well, it was in the bedroom hall for the last eight years and you just never looked at it there. Uh-huh. But yeah. it's but it's it's incredible how, you know, just moving things, shifting things like that. It suddenly becomes new all over again. Right. Yeah. Like so don't that. don't be afraid of that. Shop your own house. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Well, this fun. is fun. Yeah. This, this is, is great. It was. Do you want to tell people where they can find you, buy your books, all that good stuff? Well, uh, Luminous Interiors and Parish Hadley Tree of Life. You can you can find it in many many different places, and uh, you know you can Google me. I think it's. <laughs> www.bjm.com. I don't even know, to be honest with you. You don't know your Sorry. own website. As he turns around, a link to it. And what about Instagram? Do you have an Instagram Yes, account? yes. It's Brian yes. J. McCarthy, Inc. Yes. Oh, there you go. Caroline's going to yes. be your PR for And you. our dog, Daisy. Uh, I've heard about your dog, oh, Daisy. Yes. Daisy's been published more than me. <laughs> Good girl. She's our supermodel. <laughs> Gotta have one. Excellent. Well, we'll put links to all that so yes. people can find you. <laughs> I'm showing my age. <laughs> Sorry. All right. All right. That's our show. Thank you so much, Brian, for, for joining us today. And thank you all for listening. We would love for you to leave us a review in your podcast app. You can find all the show notes for this episode at howtodecorate.com slash podcast. We'll link to that gallery article I mentioned and all of Brian's um, books and all of his you know, a pick site. of your kitchen, maybe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, send your decorating dilemmas to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. And someone as fabulous as Brian might give you some advice in your kitchen. Um, and until next time, happy, happy decorating. decorating.